This episode is proudly brought to you by Outvest, the online investment platform powered by Outsurance. Visit outvest.co.za today and see how quick and easy it is to get 100% global equity investment exposure with the Outvest Global Wealth Builder. Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Welcome to another special episode of Honest Money. Uh, it's been a series where, where uh, we've been joined by Grant Locke, who's head of Artfest, uh, and he's been putting me in the hot seat. So he's been firing the questions, and, I, and I've been sitting here squirming and answering as best as I can. Uh, and, and the theme of our conversations has been around global investing. Uh, so Grant, welcome. Thank you very much. And um, I'm looking forward to, to the next session. Oh, thanks, Warren. It's good to be here. And I must enjoy, I really enjoyed putting you in the hot seat and watching you for a change. But I think, and this one is, is bound to be one of the most interesting one yet from my personal perspective, because it's the practical side of doing things. You know, we talk a lot about the theory and selecting the money and all the things that people think are exciting. But the thing you actually really need to know is, what do I do first? When I've decided that I want to take some money out of the country, what is step one of doing this? Step two, step three, and step four. So these are the things I actually want to cover in this one. And then I think later on, what I really want to understand is, how can average be exceptional? It's one of the quotes from your book. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about why average is exceptional, because, I mean, all of our life we're being told, listen, hey, you've got to be the best at this. And I think when it, when it comes to investing, there's a slightly different way of thinking about it. But I think to start from the beginning, so to speak, let's go into, if I decide that I want to take money offshore tomorrow, what's the first thing I've got to do? I think the first thing is just uh, understand uh, wh- what the quantum is. So how much are you sending out? Okay. And that's very important because there are, there are basically two legal mechanisms we can use to send money out. So so we can use what's called our discretionary allowance. So we can, mm-hmm. w- which is a million rand a year, and we that's we, for every individual, every uh, every South African natural person over okay. eighteen to use the all the the whole jargon. Okay. So so someone over eighteen, not a company, not a trust, a, a, a South African person. They, they can send a million rand a year, um, and what they can do with it is they can use it as a travel allowance, so they can actually just spend the money if they're, if they're traveling. They can, they can invest it, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't need to get permission from SARS. They don't need to get permission from the Reserve Bank or anybody. There, there, are, there are some processes that will get followed so that the Reserve Bank knows about it and, and it is reported, but, but as an individual, what you can do is you can, you can send that money out through your bank. So you can say to your bank, I want to convert my, my rands into dollars or into pounds, uh, or you can use a, a specialist exchange trade company that says we will we'll get a better rate for you. But but the first thing is that, that you need to say okay. So if it's less than a million rand, I, I can use that that discretionary allowance. Just be careful. If you use the whole million rand uh, and and then you, you still want to go overseas and travel, you, you you've run out of capacity. So that's okay. a tricky thing. The the other way to do it is if you say I'm going to invest more than a million rand, you can then apply to SARS for a clearance certificate, which says that you can you can send up to ten million rand again per person mm-hmm. per year. So sure. for for most of us, uh, exchange controls don't really exist because you know very few people can send out ten million rand every year and complain that they they would like to have sent out more. 
So, so for those people, you do need to get a, a, a tax clearance certificate. Basically, what SARS wants to understand is they're not trying to stop you sending the money out. They want to know that it's gone out. They want to know where it's gone so that they can continue to charge you tax on interest or capital gains tax, etc. And more importantly as well, from a, in a kind of in the modern South African world, they want to know where did you get the money from? So, you know, if, if you were a drug smuggler or a, you know, a, a previous government official uh, sitting on a lot of uh, dodgy money that you shouldn't have had, th- th- there are going to be some serious questions asked. So, so it's more about just understanding who you are, where, do, where the money's come from, that you do have the money. Then you can apply for the clearance certificate and then you follow the same process that we mentioned of going through, either through your bank or uh, a foreign exchange dealer and you, you send the money out. So, okay. so that's step one. So step one is, okay, cool. Now my money is now going overseas, Okay. Where's it going to land? What do I do next? Like, you know, how, how do I know wh- where my money must go and where it must land? What do I do with it? So, so I think the, um, the, the critical thing there will be to decide where the money is going to live. The, the, okay. the, 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 it's called the domicile or the ju- jurisdiction of the investments. So a couple of reasons why this is, I mean, this sounds boring, but it's so critical to, to protecting your capital and letting it grow over time. If you invest your money in mainland America or mainland UK or even some parts of Europe, there, there is a real chance that if you pass away and you've got money invested in those countries, that you give their tax authorities up to 40% of your money for doing nothing. Yeah. Just because you, you chose to have the buy your Apple shares or your Berkshire Hathaway shares or your Vanguard 500 index in America, you pass away and you've got $100,000 sitting there, you're going to lose 40% of everything over $60,000 that will just be given to the, the their version of the receiver of revenue, the IRS, uh, and, and the Americans will love you for it, but, but your family won't. So so where, you, where your money lives is critical to save tax because there might be dividends tax, tax on interest, withholdings taxes, something like that in addition to the death duties. So choosing the home for your money is critical. Also because some of those jurisdictions frankly, are just dodgy. Mm. You know, they, they don't protect investor money. They might be, uh, you know, you've mentioned before that they might be blacklisted. blacklisted. So, so key issues. And then I think the last thing is deciding how long you're going to put the money there for. Mm. Because once you've said, okay, I want to send the money and I'm happy to invest it for a long period of time, which is my recommendation. Uh, global investing, it's not a short-term thing. It should be a long-term thing. Then it's about saying, should I invest in shares? And then how do I buy my shares? Do I buy individual shares? Do I buy an index? Do I buy a unit trust? But, so, but I think before we even get there, like I actually want to go back a step. Just keep it really practical. Once it, once it lands, do you, do you have to open a bank account in the domicile you want to go to? Is, is that what you have to do? Or are there other ways of making sure that you can send your money there without you having to have bank accounts there? And if so, once it's in that bank account or it's in, you know, or, or however you've done it, do you need to find a provider, a services provider there? How do, you, how do I go about doing this? And I guess keeping practical so that people can take those steps is, is really what I need to know from you. I'm sorry, man. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> so, so, so I think the, the, it's a common miscon- misconception that, that you, when you send your money out, it has to go from here, let's say from your bank account, and mm-hmm. it has to arrive in another bank account overseas in your name. Okay. That's not true. Okay. Uh, th- I mean, that's one route. If you want to do it that way, that's entirely your choice. As we've just discussed, make sure the bank account is in the right jurisdiction then. But then you're sitting in a bank account in, you know, denominated in pounds or euros or dollars, probably earning no interest. Uh, mm-hmm. and, the, and some of those banks might even be charging you interest for you putting money there. So, so be careful. But, but the, there is a way, for example, that you can go from South Africa, convert your rands, goes into dollars, it goes directly into an exchange-traded fund, as an example, or into a unit trust, or into a kind of a stockbroking account or an investment platform. It doesn't need to go to a bank account ever. 
Mm. That, that's entirely your choice. I, I, I prefer not to do that because I think it's another chain in this whole link of you know getting your money from one place to another and you want as few links in that chain as possible and you want as few costs as possible because every step someone's taking some money from you. Mm. So, so you want to get it from your name in South Africa overseas in your name as fast as possible into the actual investment that you would like. Okay, so and I guess what, what would happen there is, is in the hypothetical scenario that for some reason you were not in South Africa or you emigrated from South Africa and you wanted to withdraw that money again, you could just actually open a bank account in whatever that jurisdiction is that you're in and then you can withdraw the money from your investment platform, your services provider, and it can land in that bank account. I think the key thing is as long as the bank account that you're withdrawing into from your platform is in the na- is in your name as well, I suppose that's the way to think about it. Absolutely, I mean, I think that's uh, again very practical uh, solution to you know to not having a bank account. Mm. So people always th- saying, "Well, what happens when I withdraw?" Well, uh, I mean, that's not a difficult thing to to resolve when it, when it comes time. Mm. Uh, and and in the interim, you know, if it's a if, you know if you're staying in South Africa and you haven't gone anywhere and you want the money back in rands, you can always bring the money back from your overseas account into your RAND account. There's nothing stopping you doing that. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but but if it's just very practical, you know, you've been investing globally for 20 years and you need some of your money, you can do that. There's nothing stopping you bringing the money back. Uh, and then I think just lastly, there are some countries, Switzerland's a great example of this, mm. where their bank account is also the place where you buy shares, where you buy unit trust, exchange traded funds. So that is an administration platform, stockbroking platform, and a bank account all in one. And obviously, you know, jurisdiction like that is is is, a, is one worth considering from the point of view that they don't charge you taxes and all those kinds of things. Well regulated, and it's giving you an all-in-one account. The, the trick there, you know, the, um, w- w- one of my industry colleagues would say, you know, they they charge like a wounded buffalo. So you've got to be careful with the Swiss that you choose something that 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 if you're going to go there, that they're charging you the right fees. They're, they're not too expensive. I want to throw a curveball at you now. So we've t- discussed the traditional way of getting money out of the country. But you could also do it via Bitcoin. Would you? Would you send money out via Bitcoin and then use Bitcoin as your store of value and then exchange and then buy other assets in your personal capacity? No. Um, and, and maybe not because, uh, I mean, I'm not into that whole debate of, you know, is, is Bitcoin an investment or, uh, mm. you know, I, I think to, just to park that for a second, it's really expensive to convert your fiat currency, so a government currency, uh, into Bitcoin and then to reconvert it from Bitcoin back into a government currency. So, for example, if you said, I want to convert my rands into Bitcoin, then I want to convert my Bitcoins into dollars uh, somewhere along the line. It, it's going to end up costing you around about 30% of the value of your of your money. Unbelievable. I had no idea. Is that all in the bid offer spread? It's it's. It's partly in a bit off a spread. It's also because it's not just converting it. You've got to get somebody, an, a kind of an institution, because mm-hmm. it may not be a bank then, but somebody's got to take your Bitcoins and give you dollars. Mm-hmm. And that conversion is expensive. Yeah. So actually, the other, the other point about it is that obviously because of the volatility of the crypto price, you really have a very, very you don't have good sight of what you're going to get out at the other end. I mean, if you wait a couple of months or so, you could have a massive swing in the value of Bitcoin. So at the moment, if you were considering Bitcoin or cryptos as an alternative way to get out of the money, get the money out of the country, get money out of the country, you'd probably rather stick to the traditional method at this point in time. And I think you, I mean, you're absolutely right. The volatility is a big issue. And also um, converting 
cryptos to rands or converting cryptos to dollars. There's also an, uh, a, a price discrepancy there. Mm. So, so they call it arbitrage. And, and actually, um, it's, uh, I think at the moment, and, and as you say, these things change so fast, there, there's almost a detriment to converting your rands to crypto and then crypto into dollars. Uh, you're actually going to be worse off, even if the price of the crypto hasn't changed because there's this arbitrage opportunity. So actually, the other way around, converting dollars to crypto, crypto to rands might be better. Mm. But, but I think that you know, whenever there's a gap in the market where something's mispriced, someone's taking advantage and narrowing that gap. So, so certainly not a recommendation for. And I think to look the, at the other point is is that you know right now these those transactions fall outside of exchange control. But at some point they will be regulated, and you need to make sure that you are complying with that regulation. If you're going via the Bitcoin route, it's in your personal capacity that you then have to make sure you report those transactions. And the fines and the, the penalties can be very, very severe. So at the moment, I mean, I, I'm with you in my personal capacity. I'd probably use the traditional methods, authorized broker-dealers, getting money out of the country. I think just going to the last point that I think is quite important before we move on to the why average is exceptional, when you're investing money, when you're actually putting it to work in the markets, you've got a, a, an, an element of understanding is do I take all that money and do I just pluck it straight into my investments, into my personal portfolio, or should I phase it in over time? Um, I, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of phasing my money into investments. So, so I'm, I'm always wary of taking, so let, let's just say I, I, I've converted my money, I've got $100,000 on the other side, I want to put it into a global index. Um, the likelihood is that I'm going to take that $100,000, I'm going to cut it up into six equal portions, and I'm going to put it over six months. And the reason is that that world markets uh, just generally are incredibly volatile, like like the JSEs mm. as well. And so I want to average out the the, the, the prospects of volatility of, of prices falling or rising all the time. And and the worst thing that could happen is I put my hundred thousand dollars in today, and tomorrow the whole stock market falls apart, and I could have bought it at a thirty percent discount. Mm. At the same time, I don't want to sit there with my hundred thousand dollars in cash, earning no interest, waiting for the stock market to fall by thirty percent because it could take seven years for that to happen. Mm. So, so I like to feed my money in. The only time I don't do that is if the stock market, just by sheer dumb luck, I've sent the money out, the stock market's collapsed before I've had a chance to actually invest. And if it's a huge drop, you know, if it's one of those 30, 40, 50% drops, then I'd be really greedy because then mm. I'm going to get greedy when everyone else is a, a fearful and I'm going I'm to invest my money into the markets very quickly. Uh, if the market's trending down a little bit, I'm going to stay with my six-month view. And if the market's shooting up, definitely going to stay with my six-month view. I mean, that quote, I mean, it marks you out as, a, as someone who supports Warren Buffett. Because his famous quote was, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. Very, very sage investment advice. But it's very difficult to do in practice when you're actually looking at your investments running up and down. True. So I think the last point that I'd like to ask is, is two things. How can average be exceptional in the world of investing? So, so I'm going to shoot it back at you. How can it? <laughs> okay, if you, want, if you want to ask me about it, the, the way that you do it is just by doing little bits and pieces at a time, trying not to do, trying not to get the best return, trying to be ethical in the way that you invest, trying to invest sensibly, trying to just stay the course and don't try and look at other people's investment performance as a measure of your own. Because the problem is, and, and I, most people, is, I'm going to get a little bit technical here, is that maybe one thing that people don't know is that every single individual's investment return is different. You can invest in the same asset, but you will have a different investment return from the person sitting next to, from the person sitting next to you. 
And that's a really fundamental element is you cannot compare comp performance. So I think that's, in my world, just doing something in your own way, trying to make sure that you stick with your own plan, making sure that you do s simple principles will over time compound up into something that you would not have believed. Yeah, you put me on the spot there. I hope I answered that. It right. was a great, a great answer, and, I, and and so to to add my my own flavour to that, I think uh, that if we're chasing returns, if we're chasing the ability to kind of get choose the best share, the best property, whatever it is, uh, the likelihood is we we're, we're going to end up with not the best. We're going to end up actually on the other side of that spectrum. So so that's one thing, and then the second thing is that uh, if you can just stick stick to an investment, so you put the money in and you've chosen. You know, I, I know I talk about it a lot. You, you you buy an index. And you just stay invested. Mm. That makes you exceptional. So although you're getting the average because you're getting the average of the stock market index, that's the performance that you're getting is the average of all of these different investments put together, put in an index. Very few people will buy an index and stay invested for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. So, so now by just sticking the course, being in the average investment, what people call the average investment, you become exceptional because you're allowing your capital to grow on itself. You're allowing your money to make money babies and those babies have babies and before you know it, you've got thousands and thousands of money babies all over the place and you are in a position of financial freedom. And I think that's the key, right? That's what we're mm. all aiming for is that financial freedom. But it's about saying... I'm not trying to get the best return next week, next month. I'm not trying to chop and change things. I'm just going to stay consistent and then add to it as I can and, and try not to sell unless something's gone horribly wrong outside there uh, where I need to make a change. But if it's just an index, you should be a seller kind of when you absolutely need the money one day to live off and, no, and not for any other reason. Thanks. Last thing. Okay, so in the last part of your book, you talk about some of the most important, boring lessons that you get from your clients. Can you take us through just one or two lessons that you've learned from dealing with your clients over the last 20 years? Uh, so, so I think I'm, I might not be quoting my, my book uh, directly because, you know, fr uh, frankly, that's, uh, it sounds terrible to quote yourself the whole time. So, so I think that w one of the things I've realized about my clients is the ones that have achieved financial success over long periods of time, the mm. people that have got to financial freedom, they exert control over their money. So they are the people that when they earn their first salary, they say, okay, I've got this money coming in. I need to make sure that I spend less than what's just arrived in my bank account, mm. that, I, that I allocate some money to my long-term savings. Yes, I allocate some money for holidays or fun or whatever the deal is, but there will always be some money left over. I'm not going to spend everything. I'm not going to go into debt on day one. If I go into debt, I'm going to pay it off really fast. So it's people that sit there and say, this money animal can absolutely control us very quickly mm. if we allow it. So what we're going to do is we're going to control our money we're going to let our money uh, work for us. We're going to make sure that our money aligns with what our objectives are, our, our important things in our in ourselves, either as individuals or as families. So it's about saying that that you know m money is a great tool when you use it correctly, and you have to control it. People who have money issues, the chances are you know they've got a credit card. It's easy to swipe or tap or whatever the deal is, uh, and and you know that happens day after day after day, week after week, and suddenly you owe the bank a huge amount of money. Mm. The interest is compounding against you at a massive rate. You're not controlling your money. In fact, you might not be working for a bank, but you're working for a bank because actually what you're doing is you're paying interest to, to keep the bank happy and, and so you're not exerting control. So, so it, they, they exert control over their money. They have a clear vision for what they want to do, for how they want to live their lives and they've got a clear plan for their money and, and they stick to it. Uh, and interestingly, 
generally not flash people. Mm. So the people that, I mean, I've had the privilege of dealing with financially successful people for more than 25 years. They could walk past you in the street and you wouldn't know it. They're not flashy just in general. They might go on brilliant holidays. They might be the people that are sitting there in the Maldives, on the ski slopes, et cetera, but that's money that they've carefully saved, carefully budgeted for, and, and then they're, they're spending that money on an experience. But by the time they get back to wherever home is, they might not live in the biggest houses. What you do know is there's no debt in their lives. They're not working for the banks. If they've bought a flash car, they've actually paid for it cash. Mm. It's something that they really can afford. Uh, and, and if they are using debt, it's a tool – it's something that they're doing with, with real strict control and, and they're in control of that at all times. So, so I think that it's, a, it's just understanding that you know, being flashy just in general, you know, living to impress others is a great way to lose money. It's a great way to make sure that you're actually working for the banks for the rest of your life and you're working because you have to, not because you're in financial freedom. So I think flying below the radar to some extent, spending money on experiences is great. Mm-hmm. And then saving for uh, for the important things in life, uh, and and then just you know be, being humble and and kind of being in control of your money to me is is an absolute key. Warren, thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Grant. Those are great questions. While South Africa may be your home, there's literally a world of long-term investment opportunity beyond our borders, and it couldn't be easier to take advantage with the Outvest Global Wealth Builder. You can enjoy worldwide equity investment exposure. Yes, get access to 49 developed and emerging markets comprising of over 9,000 stocks across 10 sectors, all through a single investment, priced in South African rands and all in a few minutes. Best of all, there's no paperwork. Your wealth deserves the world. Visit www.artvest.co.za now. Artvest is an authorized FSP and is powered by Outsurance. All investments are exposed to risk, not guaranteed, and dependent on the performance of the underlying assets. T's and C's apply.